You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Well, if you get a chance, say hi to James after service and grab some of the material that he'll have back there. And, uh, you know, we don't, pa- <coughs> pardon me, we don't pass a basket here in terms of our, our worship, but it is back there. If you'd like to give to the ministry that the Lord's doing through the way, you're welcome to do that um, back there on that table as well. Grab your Bibles, please. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. <coughs> we'll be in Galatians chapter 1, and... You know, uh, as we went into the COVID thing and we had to do our own lockdown as a family and we had to quarantine for 10 days and, and uh, all that good stuff, Jimmy, um, Jimmy, not here this morning, but Jimmy was like, oh, yeah, you're going to have all kinds of Bible time, you know, and spend, spend all kinds of time in the Bible. Here's the thing. When you're that sick, you can't focus on anything. I didn't spend a whole ton of time in the Bible necessarily, but what I did spend a ton of time doing and was revealed to me in ways that perhaps I've never experienced before was a level and depth of prayer that perhaps, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life where I experienced the depth of prayer that I did uh, in a couple of specific moments during that time. Now, um, praise the Lord, our kids went through it very quickly and they were healthy very quickly. Carly and I had had some more severe circumstances in terms of our, our uh, symptoms, and it took us a while to get to get healthy. I had a couple of nights where I experienced something that I have never experienced before in my life, except for maybe perhaps a couple of times, uh, and it was these moments of Jesus, I need you to save me right now. And perhaps you've had moments like that for yourself in your life, whether it's a car careening off the side of a road, getting trapped underwater somewhere, these kind of real physical endangerment places where you come to this very quick, cold reality of saying, oh, I'm not in control of this situation. And Jesus, I need you right now to save me. There was two nights where, where I literally had to jump out of bed and, and I felt like I was having trouble breathing. Didn't have to go 911 or anything like that. I could breathe, but there was this strange anxiety and weight upon me that I just felt like, I don't know if I can take another breath. And there were these, th- those moments where I became closer to Jesus than I had perhaps ever been before in my life. Because it was quite simply, Jesus, I need you right here. It's like, I need you breathing for me. I need you to help me. I need you to save me right now. And and it's a funny thing. It gave me this very interesting perspective. And I thank God for it. I believe it was a grace of God to to let me go through those moments and to come out and be healthy and safe and praise God for good health, all those things. But it caused me to think about people who are in current trouble, meaning they're in tribulation of some kind, they're in trouble, whether it's physically or, or, or whatnot, or they're being persecuted for their faith currently right now, or it gave me a huge insight and sympathy for people who are dealing with chronic illness, people who have constant, are constantly battling some form of illness to where their own strength is, is failing them and they truly have to surrender themselves to the Lord to, to say, if I get through the day, God, it's simply by your grace. I believe that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Beatitudes, the blessed statements that Jesus makes. He says this. He says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for such is the kingdom of God. 
I find that to be incredibly encouraging, especially in moments of weakness, where we start to understand that God's kingdom, the thing that he rules over and that he wants to increase, is not a kingdom of A-listers. It's not the varsity squad who's on God, are in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is made up of people who are poor, people who are weak, people who need God to be in control and who need God to be strong because we're not strong by ourselves. That is such a powerful and beautiful idea and it's never more true, the idea that we need God to be strong because we're weak. That's never more true than in regard to our own salvation spiritually. We cannot save ourselves. There, there, whether, whether it be physically, <clears throat> if my lungs had closed up and I couldn't breathe, there is nothing I could do about that. I cannot save myself in that moment except by the grace of God. Spiritually, in terms of eternity, we cannot save ourselves. We do not have the ability to stand in God's presence apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ being given to us by believing upon Jesus' death and resurrection. And so with that, let's take a look at Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to hear about a type of salvation that Paul talks about. <clears throat> take a look at verse 3. Jump in in verse 3. Galatians 1.3, it says this, Paul in his introduction to the church, greeting the church, he's writing this letter to the church at Galatia, and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins, mark this, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Now, Paul used the word, uses the word in verse 4, deliver. Speaking of the grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That word deliver is the same meaning, it's the same purpose of the word salvation. Deliverance and salvation, they're sort of interchangeable. The word also gives, gives the understanding of uh, the concept of rescue, for someone to be rescued or even plucked out. Like someone's in a river and they're floating down a river and they, they're sinking and someone reaches into the river and plucks that person out of that dangerous situation. That's what that word deliverance means. This is the concept of salvation for us. We, we need to understand this, and I think if we do understand this, it, it will help us to understand presently how we're to live out our faith, understanding that you and I have been presently delivered, as Paul says, from this evil age. <clears throat> in Scripture, there seems to be, in regard to salvation, tenses. And here's what I mean by that. There seems to be a present tense reality to our salvation, meaning that right now, you and I are saved. Positionally, we're righteous before the Lord. Christ's righteousness has been given to us. It's been imputed to us by our belief, our faith in him. So right now, we are saved. But there's also this concept that throughout the Christian life, 
We are being saved. This idea of progressive sanctification, that the more and more we walk with Jesus and learn about Jesus, we're confronted with situations where we overcome sin by God's grace. He saves us as we walk through life. And then, of course, ultimately, eternally, there's the sense that we will be saved for eternity. We will spend eternity with Jesus in his kingdom, separated from the sinfulness and brokenness of this world. And so you can see that 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 idea of salvation, of deliverance, there are tenses. There's ways that it gets applied to our lives in different circumstances. And what I believe Paul is referring to here in Galatians chapter 1 is this present reality of salvation that we need to live in and perhaps even press into in a way that we haven't previously It's for us to realize, I believe Paul's saying, that Jesus Christ has right now saved us. Meaning this moment, look at your watch or or the clock or whatnot. In this moment, Jesus saves you from the evil that surrounds us in this world. First of all, as we begin to discuss this, (coughs) we have to acknowledge that there is evil in the world. I think oftentimes in the modern era, because there's a desire to focus on positivity in the church, that sometimes we forget the reality that there is evil in the world, that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the the ruler of this world, the broken, sinful state of humanity. Satan is real, and he has a desire to deceive people and and try and tell them you don't need to believe in god <clears throat> you don't need to be believe in jesus and forgiven of your sins you're okay the way you are in fact because this is satan's plan the world has a perspective on salvation that differs greatly from god's plan of salvation Now, the world and the system of the world, Satan's efforts to deceive people, they're never going to use the language that God uses. The world's not going to talk about you being saved, but the world is going to use concepts and language, things like, like this, personal freedom, right? Acceptance, success. They're going to use these concepts and try and convince you that that's what you need in your life. You need to be as successful as possible. You need to have freedom in such a way that nobody tells you what to do. You need to be accepted for who you are with all of your faults, with all your foibles, with everything that's wrong with you. You need to receive acceptance. The world will say, that is salvation. That's where you're going to find the most freedom and and, uh, fulfillment in your life. But the truth is, is that all of those things, they're quite simply placebos for true spiritual salvation because what scripture tells us is that we need to be saved from ourselves. That by ourselves, we're not righteous, we're sinners. And we need to be saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ as Paul has just say, said, just spoken about. So once again, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then speaking of the work of Christ, verse four, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. When we think about those tenses, if you will, we're saved presently, 
versus we're saved eternally. Let's contrast those for just a second. When we talk about eternal salvation, what is it that we're being saved from eternally? When we die, when we, <clears throat> when we leave this earth and, and we're in Christ, we've been washed by the blood and we're saved eternally, what are we being saved from? Well, eternal salvation is salvation from the separation from the love of God. If you die in your sin, if you die without believing upon Jesus and receiving forgiveness for your sin, when you die, you will then be separated from the love and the grace of God for eternity. That's what hell is. All that scripture says and describes about hell, burning fire, a worm that eats at your guts, you know, the, the tongue not being able to be quenched and always thirsty, the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and all of these things, all of the description of scripture that, that is trying to tell us about hell, what it's describing to us is not a big, bad, mean God who wants to punish someone and is eternally hurting them. What it's explaining is the reality that if you're not in Christ when you die, you will live eternally by your own choice, separated from the love and grace of God. Now, you won't be separated from God. God's presence is everywhere. The scripture says, who can hide from it? So even hell is a part of God's presence, if you will, in this sense. Hell is God's present wrath against sin. That's what hell is. It's the part of God's character that says, I love you so much, I desire you to come into my family, I want to save you, but if you reject my love and reject the salvation that I have to offer, you're gonna see the backside of love, which is wrath. The truth is, 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 is you cannot have love without wrath. Would it be loving of me that if someone were to break into my home in the middle of the night and try and subject my family to violence, would it be loving of me just to go, hey man, please stop. P please don't do that. Oh, please. No, 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 that's not nice. Is that love or is love me doing whatever it takes to protect my family, including wrath, violence even? I, I, would, I, would, I would perpetrate that against the person who's trying to break into my house and do harm to my family. The same is true about God's love. There's God's benevolent, gracious, merciful love that he has to offer to anyone who would believe upon his son, Jesus Christ. But at the rejection of that, the flip side is his wrath against sin, which is unrighteousness. And so we have to understand that the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 7, 17, Romans 14, 17 tells us that God's kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Hell is the opposite of that. Hell is living in the eternal reality of God's present wrath against sin. Now, that being true, when we understand that concept of eternity in God's kingdom with peace, love, and joy, righteousness, and joy, versus hell, which is the separation from God's love and his grace, that being true, very traditionally, we as the church have oriented ourselves around the proclamation of the gospel for the purpose of, of rescuing souls eternally, and that's good. 
But oftentimes that's been the primary focus just to say, don't go to hell, don't go to hell, come to heaven with us. Like that's been the ministry. But I think what we have lost and what I think Paul does here and and points out for us that is equally important and perhaps, uh, perhaps for those in this life more impacting when we understand rightly that we are presently in the kingdom of God, that Jesus is saving us now. In this moment, Jesus is saving us. Throughout scripture, there's this sort of, um, there's always this, this concept of like already and not yet. We're saved right now, but we're looking forward to being saved eternally, right? Uh, like like, like um, this, this idea and concept of like we're in God's kingdom Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 17, 21, that the kingdom of God is not something that you can point to and say, look, it's over there. No, look, it's over here. No, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, it's among you. It's in your relationships. It's in your fellowship with one another, with the Holy Spirit binding you together. That's where the kingdom of God is right now. It's among us, but it's also something we're looking forward to for eternity. And so the contrast then is, is there's this eternal salvation that oftentimes we focus on and say we want to share the gospel so that people don't go to hell. Amen. That's good. We need to do that. But we also need to talk about how Jesus saves us in this present evil age. And as we do that, I think the first thing we have to understand, there needs to be a recognition that this world that we live in is a hard place to be a follower of Jesus. It it is. I I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a hard place. I was was at an event last night where I got to share the word a little bit with a group of people, and I don't want to go into too many details because I don't want anybody to get in trouble. I, I could see the faces of kids that I knew who actually trust Jesus and know Jesus, and they're in that mix, but here's the thing. As I looked at that group, they were severely outnumbered by kids who were mocking and laughing and weren't serious about faith in any regard. So here's my point. It is hard to be a Christian in this world. Don't don't ever let anybody fool you on that one. It's not all just rainbows and sunshines following Jesus. It is spiritually. It is hopefully in terms of what we look forward to. But following Jesus is hard. And so that's why I think this scripture is so important for us. That, that Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That's our salvation he's talking about. His death on the cross for sin. His resurrection to offer us eternal life. And he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If Jesus saves us from this present evil age if we're already a part of the kingdom of God, what that, (coughs) pardon me, what that (coughs) means for us is that the, the challenges that we face day by day, whether they're emotional, physical, mental, relational, what it means is that in those very moments, in those conflicts, in that trouble that we might have, Jesus is not only present with us because of our salvation, he is actually saving us in those moments. I want to mention just just three things that we are saved from 
presently because of our membership into the kingdom of God. And hopefully it helps us to open our eyes and open our minds a little bit to this reality that Paul's talking about, that we're saved right now from the evilness in the world. The first thing that I want to mention that we are saved from presently in this evil world, we are saved from competition and comparison. Mark these down and and just meditate on them and how that might affect your faith and how you walk in the world. We are saved presently from competition and from comparison. In a couple chapters, Galatians chapter 3, Paul's going to say this. Galatians 3.28. Paul says that there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you are in Christ, there is no such thing as a better Christian than someone else. There is no such thing as a more important Christian than someone else. You do not have to compare yourself to another follower of Jesus for the sake of saying, God will be happier with me if I act more like Billy Graham, right? Like, no, Billy's race was his. His mission was his. Yours is yours. Jesus saves us in this very moment from condemning ourselves, from judging ourselves harshly by comparing ourselves to those people who act or seem to look holier than us. Who seem to have it all dialed in and on the surface everything looks good, right? And oh, our family's not as great as that family or my Christian life isn't as great as that person's Christian life. Listen, when Paul says there is now no, there's no separation There's no Jew and Greek ethnic separation. There's no slave free. There's no class separation. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white. In Christ, we're one. We're all the same. See, the world wants to say, you need to be bigger, faster, stronger, richer, more successful. That's what the world, that's Satan's placebo for salvation. You need to be better at something than someone else. You need to be in competition. You need to compare yourself. I hate Instagram. I'm just gonna, I'm just, I've said it before and I know that seems like a, like a tangent. I hate Instagram. I love it for certain things because there's cool pictures on it and I get to look at guitars and that's all great. But the part where people are showing this false presentation of a life that they want people to think that they're living, but in reality, you realize that's not true. It's a filter that you can use on your phone, right? Like, like, like for that reason, I'm not a fan of that stuff because what it does is it puts us in the worldly mentality of comparing ourselves against someone else. They've got that. I don't. I'm jealous. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm face-to-face in opposition with the values of the kingdom of God, which says I'm supposed to be at peace with what God's given me. Whether I have much or I have little, Paul says I've learned to be content with those things because God's the one who's provided it for me. Yeah? And so we're saved presently in our faith from competition and comparison, number one. Number two, we're saved from hatred. We are saved presently from hatred. This world and the values of the world They would never verbalize it this way. But hatred is a value in this world. It goes right along with competition. 
I like these people. I don't like those people. My people are going to be better than those people. Competition can be a good thing. Competition, (coughs) sports, (coughs) pardon me, all those kinds of things, that's fine. Those things can be innocuous sometimes. But the general gist of competition leads to this separation that can turn into very quickly, and we see this socially, we see this religiously, we see this ethnically, can turn into hatred for another one of God's children. Hatred needs to be eradicated. We need to get rid of hatred. In fact, it's, it's important enough that John, the Apostle John, in his letter to the church in, in 1 John, mark this, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, again, values of the kingdom, 1 John 4, 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not see, seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. That is huge. That's one of those moments where we stop and just go, Jesus, I need you to save me right now, presently, from the evil that's in this world because the evil in this world is telling me it's okay to hold a grudge against someone that I'm angry at. It's okay for me to be angry and and even sin in my anger and allow hatred to fester in my heart because someone did me wrong rather than understanding that we are saved in the present moment right now by the sacrifice of Jesus. You want to talk about someone who was wronged. The greatest injustice in the entire history of the world was done upon Jesus when he hung on the cross for our sins. If Jesus can look at those who crucified him and cry out to the Father and say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Then Jesus can save you and me right now in this moment from hating someone who has done something wrong to us. The last thing that I want to say and and, and point us to in this present reality that Jesus saves us right now from this evil age, and this is one that is a plague upon our culture and upon this world right now, it's that Jesus saves us from anxiety. Jesus saves us from anxiety. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. Actually, jump in, in verse 32. Matthew 6, 32 says this, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. First of all, God knows what we need. He knows before we've even asked what it is that we need. And verse 33, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The occurrence and the reality of anxiety and depression is more real now, perhaps, than it has ever been before in the history of the world. It seems to be the tool that Satan is using to attack God's people in ways that we've possibly never seen before. And yet it's one of those things that Scripture, Jesus himself, speaks to specifically in a powerful way, that he says, I will save you right now in this present moment 
from the attack of the enemy who wants you to be worried about everything else out there in the world, everything outside your door, everything outside of your relationship, everything outside of your heart, Satan wants you to be worried about. He wants you to feel like you need to be in control of everything in your life. And Jesus simply steps in and says, no, I'm saving you from that anxiety. All you need to do when you're confronted with some sort of choice, decision, problem, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything that you need, God's going to give to you. You may not get everything you want, but God's going to give you everything you need. If we're presently in the kingdom, if this is part of the, the sort of already not yet concept of the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God. <clears throat> I've got a problem. I'm anxious about something. I'm troubled about something. Well, what are we supposed to do? Seek the kingdom of God. How do I do that? Do we have brothers and sisters in this kingdom who are willing to pray for us, who are willing to serve us, who are willing to sacrifice their life for us? And when you need a meal, they bring you a meal. When they need prayer because you're sick, they pray for you. When they're having trouble in their relationship, they come and they say, would you just work with us to figure out how to, how to pursue Jesus together? Listen, this is what the kingdom is for. It is for Jesus to save us right now in this moment. And so Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Everything that you need. As far as tomorrow and its problems, don't worry about them. They're gonna be there when you get there tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But when we stop and consider this and understand the reality of what Paul says, that Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, our salvation, he has delivered us, he has rescued us, he has plucked us out of, he has saved us from this present evil age. When we're confronted with evil, when we're confronted with temptation to sin, when we're confronted with people who don't want to acknowledge the Lord and his kingdom, we can be saved in this very moment. That's what Jesus died for. Yes, eternally. Amen. We get to be with the Lord eternally. But right now, we get to be saved. You know, the thing I shared with the kids last night was out of Micah chapter 6, as God speaks through the prophet and says, this is what God requires of you. It's to do justice. It's to love mercy. And it's to walk humbly with your God. The only way to accomplish those things, to do what's right, to do justice, to love mercy, to be kind to one another, and to walk humbly with God, saying, God, you're in control and I'm not. The only way to do that is by doing what Jesus said the work of God was, and that's to believe upon the one whom he sent. When we believe upon Jesus right now, we're saved.